from LPM. Louisville Public Media. Um, my name is Nakia Rhodes. I'm a 21-year-old person who is very lucky. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life all the time, but somehow good things keep happening. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up in the Smoketown Shelby Park neighborhood. Smoketown back then, whenever I was a kid growing up, um, I remember going to Shelby Park a lot. And I could walk there with my best friends and be just fine. Or I could ride my bike in the neighborhood. Um, I learned how to ride a bike from a crackhead, <laughs> which is interesting. But, um, you know, I didn't feel unsafe in my neighborhood. I knew that there were issues in my neighborhood. I've, I was a kid who had to grow up really fast because of the things I was around. But I never felt unsafe. I did summer camp at Shelby Park Community Center. That was a big part of my childhood. Um, I felt like I was always around a lot of kids, and there was always something for me to do. My mom was a single mom, and my dad was in and out of prison, but we had a really close relationship. I have two brothers and a sister. As best as they could, they tried to insulate me from the things outside. They couldn't really do that from the things on the inside that were going on in our ho- in our household, like, um, you know, struggle with alcohol abuse and other drugs. But yeah, my, my mom and my godmother really believed in keeping kids busy and keeping them out of what they would call grown folks' business. So grown folks' business is anything from sitting under your mom while she's on the phone on your front steps and just listening to conversations. Um, And that's really mostly what it was, but also like certain TV shows or movies you weren't supposed to watch. It's grown folks' business. But in our household, my mom drank, her boyfriend at the time drank, and growing up I always thought that, I knew they smoked cigarettes, and I always thought they smoked weed. They would go into their bedroom, shut the door and say, we're doing, we're handling grown folks business. You can't be in here right now. After they broke up, we moved out to the Shively area and I found out my aunt told me that they were actually smoking crack. I was like devastated. My mom always talked about how my dad was a crackhead and he was no good. And, you know, she was doing the same thing. She was also doing crack just like he was, but she was more of a functioning drug addict. You know, she still technically kept a roof over my head and she still technically, you know, made sure I was registered in school and did the the basic necessities. But as I was growing up, I was learning, you know, the family secrets like we didn't move just because we wanted to move to Shadley, we moved because we were being evicted. I remember not having water in our house and exchanging, going down the street to our older neighbor's house. She had a lot of cats, her name was Lynn. And we would go and change her litter boxes for her and help her like feed her cats. And then we would like fill up buckets of water and walk back down to our house. My mom always had a job growing up. She worked for Volunteers of America for 13 years. Uh, She and my godmother were running two of their kitchens at a family shelter. So that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My dad is deceased. Um, He passed away whenever I was 17 of colon cancer, and he struggled with drug addiction and incarceration my entire life. But somehow, any time that my dad came around, I was a total daddy's girl. You know, I went, um, the longest that I went without seeing my dad was five years. Um, I was in elementary school. So there's pictures or like a video somewhere at one of my relatives' houses um, of me running down the hallway at Englehart Elementary School with like this lit up face just you could see in the picture like how excited I was as a kid um to see my dad in my school lobby like what I I have no idea how long it had been before that moment in like first grade that I'd seen him 
but I knew that I hadn't seen him. And that was Halloween. And so he went trick-or-treating, and it was like this big deal. And then I don't know how long it took after that for him to be arrested again. But then he was gone for five years, and he got out when I was in sixth grade. Um, and it was like nothing had changed. But he would draw me pictures, and he would tape together pieces of paper to make a huge poster, and he would send them home for me to color. So we were able to still connect in that way, I guess, while he was gone to prison. I was 16. Um, it was my junior year of high school. We had the best Christmas that, to date, I've ever had. My dad was there. My mom was there. Uh, my mom's boyfriend. So, like, they were doing the co-parenting thing just fine. My brother was there, his girlfriend at the time, and my brother's daughter and his girlfriend's daughter. So it was just, like, this really um, intimate thing with just, like, my closest relatives at the time. And the kids were really still little the girls were probably four at the time so I got to be a part of like carrying all the presents up uh up from my brother's car into our little apartment and like seeing them wake up with like all these freaking presents like so many presents it was the fullest I've ever seen our tree and we had so much food and there was just so much love that day and excitement and happiness and I like to think it was for a reason I like to think that that Christmas was so happy because it was the last one that I had with them so it was really great I went to Western Early College High School. Western Early College High School is the best program in Louisville. Um, uh, it was a program that I was really, really reluctant about, but basically it's a program that um, the high school sends juniors and seniors onto JCTC's campus. You show up to high school at the regular time, like 7 o'clock, and then they have a separate school bus that takes us downtown to JCTC where we start classes around nine o'clock. We have like an hour of study time with like our peers and that's really great. And we have like an hour in a computer lab where you can check your email and check Blackboard and like kind of um, catch up on things in case you don't have access to that at home. And then we go off to just be college students. Um, some of the instructors there knew that we were high school students taking college classes. Some of them didn't. And then whenever you reveal that, it's like a really big surprise. But they, they pay for everything. Uh, Western pays for their books, their tuition. Um, the teachers kind of come together. You know, there's a lot of stories about how teachers go above and beyond their pay grade completely to support their students. And our teachers came together to buy flash drives and notebooks and binders and pencils. And whenever I was going through the program, I started the culinary program at JCTC. So I needed a uniform and my teachers were buying me shoes because I couldn't afford shoes. It's just a way to wrap your arms around a student who's transitioning into college. Um, it's really great for first-generation students, especially, because my parents didn't go to college, and my siblings didn't really go to college. If I would have just went on my own to college, I would not have known what to do. I wouldn't have been able to navigate as easily. I wouldn't have had a connection. It's like a, um, like a bridge. I finished uh, high school with 35 college credits. So whenever I went to finish my degree, I only had one more year left. My motivation to study culinary arts in college um, came from just being in kitchens. Like I said, my mom worked in Volunteers of America kitchens my entire childhood. Literally, she was pregnant with me, and I went to daycare at the um, daycare that Volunteers of America used to own. And then when that company closed, they went to the family shelters, and I worked with her. I would read cookbooks for fun because that's what they had in their office, or I would organize canned goods. I would sleep in grocery carts. Um, so um, I just grew up in kitchens. And then I went to high school 
and there was a culinary arts uh, program, like a um, elective class, and it just felt natural. Then I realized that you could do it for a career, and I was like, what? You can go to school and do this? College never felt like a choice. It just felt like something that I had to do. I feel like I've always felt the need to escape my situations at home, any hardships at home. I was very active in high school and extracurriculars, and I feel like a lot of it was because the longer I stayed at school, the less time I had to be at home. So I think the college was just a way for me to solidify a future where I could support myself and and be able to be on my own and kind of be free. So right now I am uh, working, my main job is working at Turnip the Beat. Uh, it's Turnip the Beat like the food turnip and the food beat. Um, it's a kids cooking school in Old Louisville. Um, I've been there for a little over a year now. But we teach little guys ages uh, as young as 18 months to as old as 17. And it's just kids. We never teach adults um, unless it's like a family class. I'm a, I'm a cooking person. Um, I, I feel like a chef is someone who runs a kitchen. I don't feel like I have the energy for that or the patience for that or the stamina for that. Um, I've worked under really great chefs who really work their butts off, but I could never do what they do. It's exhausting and you have to love it to be able to do it. And I think that they really do love it. Recently I was chosen for, I was picked out of about 50 women across the state of Kentucky. Um, I'm one of five of the Lee Scholars, is I guess what we call ourselves. But the Lee Initiative, it's, it's Edward Lee's response to the Me Too movement. Um, you know, last year a lot of women came out um, of the shadows and they wanted their voices to be heard and about a lot of mistreatment. That has happened over the years in in the restaurant industry it's very male driven you don't see as many females in charge and with that comes females who are working their ass off to become in charge and you have men who are trying to take advantage of them so Edward was like what can I do you know what can I do to combat that and he decided to create a program where women who don't own their own restaurant aren't really necessarily running a kitchen um, but are you probably really great leaders could go and work under female chefs and see a woman in charge. You know, just giving girls the opportunity to see that you can do this and to get some advice from women who are already doing it. It's a really, really great opportunity. Um, I actually just got back from Atlanta. That's where my mentor was. I was partnered with Ann Quatrano and she owns five restaurants and a food truck and a farm. Um, so it was really awesome to be able to see, oh, a woman can do that kind of thing. I've always been a person who's very sure about what they wanted. And I knew that I wanted to do food, but there's so many other jobs. People ask me all the time, do you want to open a restaurant? No. Um, but I don't know exactly what job I want. Right now I'm leaning towards being a teacher. But I think that what I really would like to do, no matter what job I have, I would like to work with youth. And I would like to be the person that I needed growing up. And that's like such a cliche, but I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't have turned out so whatever good or um, I don't think I would have as much resilience as I do if it weren't for the adults in my life outside of my home that really stepped in and took care of me whenever I needed someone. You know, there were teachers that stayed after school with me until, you know, late hours just listening to me talk about what was going on at home. There were teachers that made sure that I had a prom dress. There were teachers that made sure that I had food. There were teachers that really took care of me and could see that I needed someone. They could see potential in me. 
and I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to be a caring person without that I wouldn't be able to be successful without that or have the opportunities that I've had without teachers who cared enough to be like look I've got you we're going to work on this together and you know to have an adult that I could trust when things at home weren't the best that they could be so I want to be that for someone else I want to be that for for other kids so yeah Nakia Rose's story is part of Tough and Universal, Stories of Grit, a new series produced by WFPL in partnership with Ideas X Lab. The story was edited and produced by me, Erica Peterson, with sound design by Laura Ellis. For more, including photographs of Nakia in front of her childhood home and teaching children at Turn Up the Beat, visit WFPL.org.